Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. You going? I'm going. Three, two, two one, one start. start. We were just feeling each other then. We did we we did it from the three. That's almost impossible. <laughs> well, I that I thought there was something weird about it, but I didn't realize. How did we do it from the three? I, I don't know. <laughs> this should be in the podcast because that just proved that there is such a thing as telepathy, just in a very well, limited way. I mean, in the but in the way that this works, it only synced for you because for me, it wasn't synced. I started a little bit before you, uh, but you, so it was only, so you were telepathic. Uh, I was okay. not. All right. Go, uh, forget it then. Let's just start with the podcast. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, yeah. a grizzly bear, he walked into a restaurant and he says to the to the waiter, I don't, he didn't even sit down first. He walked straight up to the waiter and he said, can I get a grilled cheese? And the waiter said, why the big pause? <laughs> I love the idea that in your story, for no reason, the grizzly bear is rude. <laughs> but so is the waiter. Like, there's, there's no... Yeah, because then like it makes more sense that the waiter can be rude. It's not necessary to the joke. <laughs> For the grizzly bear to be aggressive, he could have sat down, sat at the table, waited his turn, and then the waiter comes over and says, how can I help you? It's the same joke. I feel that you've unjustly maligned grizzly bears as being aggressive when I feel like they're mostly aggressive only when they're hungry or, yeah. or tired. <laughs> or Just protecting like their children. Also, I'm sure, with the, the case with you. John, I, I recently found out that uh, 6% of Americans believe that they could win a unarmed, so an unarmed fight with a grizzly bear. So it's you and a grizzly bear, and 6% of Americans wow. think that they are going to come out victorious. <laughs> okay, I have a couple questions here, because I might be in the 6%. Oh my god. So, All right, okay. Well, I'm so glad, because I thought I would never meet one of you. Here's Here's my question. Do I have to kill the grizzly bear? Uh, you have to win the fight. I, I guess you could, like, it oh. could be unconscious at the end. Are you going to put it in a headlock? No, 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 because I, I listen, I'm not going to say that there's a hundred percent chance, but I think there is a reasonable chance that if you put me in an arena mm -hmm. with a well-fed, content grizzly bear, okay, that I could make the case to that grizzly bear that the best outcome for all of us is for both of us to walk out of that <laughs> so, arena so alive. <laughs> so John has turned the fight into a debate, I believe is what has occurred. Not a debate, <laughs> a, a brief a discussion. discussion. It, where it's like, and, look. And, and you may say, oh, John, you didn't win the fight if you and the grizzly bear are equally well walking out of that arena. And I totally disagree. I won <laughs> the fight. That's a huge win. Yeah, I guess that's a win. <laughs> I, I would definitely call it a win if, uh, if you... Regardless, if if you walk out of the arena, but is it a fight? Because I'm imagining like a boxing match. 
It like wouldn't there's really, a, it wouldn't be much of a fight. Like maybe both of you could live. There might be some verbal sparring. Yeah, but she, but like the judge, the judge, is there a judge in boxing would have to say like, yes, you landed more punches than the grizzly bear. Like the technical winner no. of the, no, of the match. No, 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 no. I'm acutely aware that in any kind of physical altercation, I'm going to come out on bottom. Right. I have well, what a I, no. 0% so what, chance of defeating a grizzly bear in an, in an actual right. fight. What I'm saying is that I think I've got a chance that we both survive. So here's, here's my strategy. So if we are in a boxing match and there are boxing rules, I have heard, I know that there are boxing rules. Can I get oh, yeah. the bear to break one of the boxing rules enough times that the bear is disqualified? John, what is a boxing rule? Oh, for sure. For, I mean, low blows, you only have to have two or three of those before you get disqualified. <laughs> yeah, but Maybe if, I get, get... if I have three low blows from a grizzly bear, I'm in very serious <laughs> peril. <laughs> Okay, uh, okay, there are other rules that I think we could maybe make work for us yeah. in this situation. What if so the grizzly bear uh has to be able to like touch gloves at the beginning of the uh -huh. fight and then go back to its corner nice. before uh -huh. the bell rings. Uh -huh. And I'm not uh -huh. totally confident. We just need a poorly trained grizzly bear. That's right. That's right. I'm not totally We're confident that the grizzly bear could follow all those instructions perfectly. Yeah, we need a poorly trained, well-fed grizzly bear who has is is just content. Uh, and also, ideally, there's a bunch of salmon around, but not in the corner, just to make sure he doesn't go back to the corner. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I. Yeah. So the long and short of it is that I don't think that either of us could beat a grizzly bear in a fight. But I do have some level of hope that we could avoid the fight, which is an, I, I would argue, an underappreciated 21st century <laughs> strategy, just in general. Yeah. You know, I go about my day and I avoid fights with every, every animal, every species on Earth, except for humans, every day. That's so true. So I feel like I could do it. I, I, I'll even avoid a fight I know I can win. Like if a squirrel gets aggressive with me, I'll oh, be yeah. like, oh, no, whatever, man. This is your space. Cool. I got it. I'll back off. No worries. <laughs> I don't want your butt on my hands. not trying to get rabies. Yeah. And yet, if a human, a human stranger okay. says something mean to me on Twitter, I'm like, mm -hmm. here we go. <sighs> here we go. Time to throw down. Crack the knuckles. Uh, I wrote a couple tweets this morning that I didn't send. Uh, it's always a good policy. Yeah, which is potentially you know what's an even what I should do with all of them. I was going to say, you know, it's an even better policy. Yeah, well, it's just not... making your Twitter drafts your Twitter. <laughs> it's just for you. Yeah. Sometimes I send John my tweets. That's I. I almost sent you one this morning that was a real doozy. Oh, you should have. You should have. Uh, I wish you had. Let me tell you what it is. Okay. Um, I think it was a great call not to tweet it. That's for sure. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Let's do some questions from our listeners, Good God. John, what, what even is this podcast? It's just take a job. I'll tell, you who, I'll tell you who wins. The old man yells at Cloud. Yeah. I mean, I'd say that the Grizzly Bears would win, but we are winning against them by any objective measure. This first question comes from Maya, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I work at a movie theater with many security cameras. We always have to be doing something because the owner checks the cameras and yells at us if we're doing nothing. Most of the stuff we do is just oh making God. up work or doing things really slowly to kill time when it's slow. Like, you work at a movie... There's got... Oh, my God. My question is, what is a good way to... Uh, not do anything while looking like you are working, but not something difficult. <laughs> Pride and Prejudice, Maya. Oh, my God. So before we answer the question, can we just acknowledge that the worst possible business strategy oh is to spend all of your time at home watching security cameras of your business and then yelling at people when they aren't busy because the appropriate business strategy is to try to make the business busier, right? Like, <laughs> Well, but here's the thing. It's a movie theater. They have start times and like the start times align and then there are, yeah. are downtimes. And during the downtimes, yeah. you clean up and you like do... I'm sure important movie theater things that don't take the full two hours. Yeah. And that's just enough. Well, that's the, that's I, the model. Well, well, I don't know the details of the movie theater business. I've never worked in a movie theater, but I will say that in general, it infuriates me when bosses are angry with their employees for 
like the business not having enough business because that is that's their like, job. The boss should be focused on that. Yeah, that is literally their whole job. So you can't make that argument to your boss because <laughs> of the power structures and this yeah. person is obviously kind of a jerk so it's a hard thing to figure out what to do mm-hmm. and so i think it is probably a good policy to figure out some things mm-hmm. that are easy right. and look like work yeah so i don't do you remember these john when when we were a kid and i don't think they exist anymore they were like human powered vacuum cleaners and you would like rub them over the ground there was a pole oh yeah and they had these at fast food restaurants and they'd go yeah i don't know what they're doing in there i love that but i they're like they're like self sweepers i don't know what they're called but that always seemed like a you're basically just going for a walk um and so maybe the, get one of those. Yeah. Looks like you're sweeping. Yeah. Get yeah. Your steps get your in. steps in. Listen to a podcast. Right. That's a good get idea. The McElroy's in there. Or yeah. us. <laughs> I guess you're a fan of this podcast. I like that your first thought was the McElroy's. <laughs> I, I like that when you're like, what am I going to do to listen to something during a downtime? I know. I'll listen. We're, we're a podcast, Hank. Advertise <laughs> this podcast. You're like that boss who doesn't know how to build the business. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> we don't have anybody standing around. Not doing anything, luckily. That's true. That's definitely not the problem. Uh, the other thing that I was thinking about is I I find that I can look busy if I'm listening to something. Like, I can just sort of, like, walk from one stand to another. I can kind of walk from one place to another and appear busy. Mm-hmm. Like, I was thinking about this because I, I, I read the question this morning, and then I, was, I spent a, a bunch of the morning in the garden picking beans. And I was like, I probably look busy busy right now but in fact like i am doing this as slowly as i possibly can to enjoy being outside for as long as possible <laughs> yeah i real I, I i realize this isn't practical advice but i'm just going to tell you like what i would fantasize about doing as opposed to what i would actually do because <laughs> i don't know what i would actually do other than be frustrated and but what i would fantasize about doing is doing nothing and waiting for the boss to call and picking up the phone and then saying, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing for the business right now, buddy? That's a great tweet, John. Thank you. That like, <laughs> All right, John. Do you have another question for us? Sure. Let's stick with the movie theme. Allison writes, Dear John and Hank, my family sometimes watches movies that I don't want to watch. While they watch the movie, what should I do? Should I sleep? Should I do something else? Please help me out when this happens. Pumpkins and Penguins, Allison. Um, I have this problem almost every time my family watches a movie. <laughs> well, I can tell you what I do, John. What do you do? Uh, I work on my project for Awesome Perks. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a yeah. So <laughs> that's what I was going to suggest. Actually, is like make some art. Yeah, yeah. I just uh, I spent the last week drawing fifty monsters uh, during um, while there were various YouTube videos that were not, let's say, designed for forty-one year olds. Right. Uh, and I found it very gratifying, and I was amazed by how many different monsters my brain could produce. I did occasionally run up against uh, moments when I didn't think that I could go any further or do any, like there was no other way for a monster to exist. But it turns out there's all kinds of ways for monsters to exist. They can have big heads. They can have small heads. They can have snake bodies. They can have slug bodies. They can have bird bodies. They can have brontosaurus bodies. It's great. I had a good, I had a good old time. And, uh, and so I, I, and like, I will say that it was not an, a, a because of the structure of the project. There was a significant uh, cost investment as I was using thick cardstock paper and silver sharpies. But I didn't think that I could f- have found cheaper ways to do it and been gratified. Yeah, I mean, what I do is just draw circles over and over again, which you can do <laughs> with any pen and, yeah. and any piece of paper. And if, yeah, you could do it on the same piece of paper forever. You can actually, and I find that wildly <laughs> fulfilling. And the thing about it is, like, when I'm watching a movie, I don't want to watch. Mostly, what I don't want is I don't want to be deeply engaged in the movie. And sometimes that's because it's kind of a stupid movie. And sometimes that's because like it's just a little much for me for whatever reason. Like a lot of horror movies are a little much for me. They are like a little too close to home or whatever. 
but if I'm doodling, then it's like I can kind of zone in and zone out so I can still have an opinion about the movie and I'm not distracting other people by like being on TikTok or whatever or like looking at my phone constantly. And I'm still enough of a participant in the family moment that I can talk about it when it's over, but without the like stress of like having to watch something you really don't want to watch, which is for me anyway, actively unpleasant. Yeah. Yeah, especially if it's not the first time. Uh, yeah, and and, Which, and in the case of the movies watched in our household, it's never the first time. Never the first time. It's, I cannot. I cannot get Oren to try new movies. Which oh, is yeah. a. It's a difficult. He's like, no, it's too much. Yeah, and I get it. It's a lot. And he's four, and like, so it is a lot. But boy, I love Emma Dotter's Jug Band Christmas. But I've seen it enough times. Right. Now. Yeah. 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 It's it's yeah, we have the same issue in our household. And it's fascinating to me that we like, yeah, we have the same issue in our household. And the, the case I try to make is y'all can't rewatch movies over and over again until you've seen them for the first time. So maybe today <laughs> is the day that yeah. we add by one to the number of movies that we can endlessly rewatch. <laughs> well, that would be nice. Because if, if we can get it up to like 30, then I won't be so miserable. Yeah, I, I think ours might be at 30 and I'm still like, all right, yeah, <laughs> no, let's, well, let's, 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 let's watch the Will Smith vehicle spies in disguise for the seventh time. Let's do it. I'm in. Yeah, great. Oh, wow. Oh, I've he, never even he, heard of that. Uh, he turns into a pigeon. Wow. Oh, my gosh. There's so many jokes about pigeon pigeon poop. Wow. Jeez. I haven't heard this many poop jokes since we rewatched the Emoji movie for the 17th oh time. No. <laughs> I'm not looking forward to that stage of movie watching. I should be happy. Emanato's Jug Band Christmas and Cars over and over again. Sounds great. I've kind of come around to the Emoji movie. I don't know what it is, but... <laughs> It gets better on rewatches. Well, that is not what I would have expected. John, do you have any more advice or should I move on to this question from Andrew? I think we killed it. Okay. Just (laughs) like I kill a grizzly bear in a fight. (laughs) Andrew asks, dear Hank and John, as I understand it, getting a COVID vaccine means that you get a deactivated form of the virus. Not really. No. That creates antibodies that fight an active virus. That second part is true. Mostly in the case of the current vaccines, you get a little chunk of instructions for building a part of the virus. Then your body builds a very small part of the virus, and then you develop antibodies to that small part of the virus, which has been extraordinarily effective, which is very exciting because it didn't have to be. Uh, But Andrew continues. Also, as I understand it, COVID tests detect antibodies for COVID. So now that I have the vaccine, will I test positive for COVID if I'm asked to take a test? Punctures and penguins. Andrew, good sign off. No. Um, so there, you, you will test positive if you, t- if you take an antibody test, which is a specific kind of test that all throughout the pandemic has either told you whether you are like have been infected with COVID or have COVID. So an antibody test, even if you had COVID like Eight months ago, you can test positive with an antibody test. Um, And if you have the COVID vaccine, you will also test positive with an antibody test, and that will tell you that you have the antibodies. But antibody tests don't tell you whether you have COVID right now. Those tests test for the presence of the virus. Um, And those ones are the ones that you generally are getting when you get COVID tests. Yeah. I just had a COVID test, by the way. Um, I'm fully vaccinated, but I had a really bad cold. Yep. And... I got a I got a test and I'm I, I don't have I don't have COVID thankfully but um, I did have to spend like uh, just to be sick because the kids are starting school kids aren't vaccinated yeah uh, I didn't I, yeah I I just didn't want to like ruin the kids sure. first day of school <laughs> uh, so I I, yeah. I spent the weekend uh, in the basement and I there's nothing to recommend about anything about the um, pandemic. Yeah, no, it it isn't great. I just gave Oren a, a over the counter COVID test because he had a cold, and um, it has gotten harder to get tests. Just yeah, because I guess we feel better. Um, so we got the over the counter one, and uh, it was very easy. He's good. Yeah, yeah. So that's how it works, and. It should be said that uh, just as the vaccines are very effective, PCR tests are extremely sensitive. Yeah. And 
do a good job of detecting COVID when you have it, but hopefully you won't have it, or at least you won't get very sick because you'll have the opportunity to get vaccinated. Yay! All right, Hank, we have a question that sort of melds our interests, and also I don't know the answer to it, so I thought I would ask you. This is from Chelsea, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I read somewhere that ancient Greeks used to use oil to calm the waves. Now, not to stereotype, but I assume that this meant olive oil. (laughs) Now, So I have to say, Chelsea, I assume it doesn't mean olive oil because olive oil was pretty expensive and hard to make in large quantities. But I also might be wrong because I have read in ancient Greek texts about this calming of the waves. But I I always kind of assumed that it was figurative or something. I just didn't think very hard about it. (laughs) Anyway, it got me to wondering, does petroleum have the same properties that can help calm waves? And if so, will all of these oil spills actually help reduce the volatility (laughs) of the ocean and reduce the severity of hurricanes and other climate change related catastrophes? Chelsea, I'll tell you what I love. (laughs) I love your optimism. (laughs) It's like, it's like, oh, so if we can have enough oil spills. Yeah, maybe, maybe we should just spill all the oil and just calm the ocean right down. I mean, we're not, in that in that case, we're not burning it at least. But it is a, it is a really interesting intellectual exercise and I love the question. She signs off not out of AFC Wimbledon's league, Chelsea. Well, you're out of our league at the nice. moment, but maybe not forever. <laughs> um that Chelsea is the name of a football team. It is. For it the is. rest Sorry. of us. Thank you, Hank. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't know if it was olive oil or not. It, it may have been fish oil. Um, so f- oil that you get from rendering fish because mm. that was probably cheaper. Yeah. And you wouldn't want to use fish oil in a lamp, which was what olive oil, or in cooking as much, which is what olive oil was used for because mm-hmm. it is less pleasant to be around. Um, but I don't know for sure what kind of oil they used. But this is a thing. And it, to, to, to the extent to which this is was done in our lifetimes and the 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 mechanism of action is not entirely clear but if you have like a bag so not like a huge amount if you have like a ba- like a imagine like a 5 pound bag of oil mm-hmm. you can pour it around a ship and that can decrease waves around a ship really the yeah at the extent to which this works um is not entirely clear and there hasn't been a lot of modern science done on it but benjamin franklin was super into it and he did a bunch of research on it and showed that um on a small scale like a teaspoon of oil would spread out over several yards and it would have a significant calming effect on Mm. water wow to the to the point where like people would were still carry around storm it's called storm oil still carry around storm oil probably like and usually castor oil probably because of it's it just superstition these days but mm. into the 1990s it was required on english ships wow so that's wild wow um now i didn't know about any of that so you john having read the odyssey or whatever knew more about this than i did uh but the uh the answer to chelsea's question is is it would have to be a lot of oil and i think especially in a hurricane type environment it wouldn't have a huge effect though there there seems to be sort of a, a double effect happening one is that it interferes with the wind's ability to catch on the wave and and have the wind produce a wave and the second being that it just adds friction to the movement of the water and so the water is not able to move as much so hmm. uh, now could it could it work sure would we need to spill a whole heck of a lot of oil and cause a whole set of other problems yeah we would uh and it also it, it doesn't tend to be the waves that cause the big problems anyway it's more that the the water level increases with a storm surge that i don't think would stop with storm oil but who knows but also let's not explore it too much because i don't want that to be the solution yeah it's not going to be a great solution but it is still a really fascinating intellectual exercise so thank you chelsea and thank you for introducing me to an idea that i had no no knowledge of whatsoever no knowledge yeah that apparently extended into the 1990s and even into today i i enjoyed reading about storm oil hank i wonder if i can ask you a question that we got like 200 times this week, but we got different versions of. And so I'm just going to ask you like the overarching question. Many, many people wrote in to say some version of how can I be happy when Earth is going to be dead in 30 years, referencing Mm -hmm. the recent, very disturbing, extremely well-researched 
report put together by the UN. Yeah. And I think this is a really important question, and I understand why people are asking it, but I also feel like I have a responsibility to tell people that the earth is not going to die mm-hmm. in 30 years or in 300 or 3,000 or 3 million years. Mm-hmm. And I also feel like I have a responsibility to tell people that like, in some ways it's much worse than that. Because like, if the earth was going to die in 30 years and there was nothing we could do, then like, whatever, despair, nihilism, hopelessness, let's just give up on everything and enjoy what pleasures while we may. But the truth <laughs> is a lot more complicated than that and and kind of less, both like less horrible and more horrible, which is that we are going to make decisions. We are making decisions today and we are going to make decisions over the next 30 years that do profoundly shape the kind of alive world that is going to exist in 300 or 3000 and potentially even in 3 million years. Yeah. I mean... So I've been really active and engaged in this conversation for for over 20 years now. My master's degree is in environmental studies. And obviously, this was a big deal when I was getting that degree. It was a big deal when I was getting my chemistry degree. It's been a big deal my entire life. And and our dad worked in the uh, environmental movement when we were growing up. And so did our mom. Yeah, I remember being a little kid and our dad talking to us about climate change. And we knew all of that in the 80s. And by we, I mean, like, as a species, we knew it. Yeah. What that has given me is a perspective on progress that I think a lot of people who are in their 20s don't, or especially their teens, don't have. Um, And... And that very much comes in the form of seeing the pie charts change substantially in terms of our energy mix. Now, that's not the only series of problems that we need to solve, but it is like a needle that I keep watching move. And so the the thing that the IPCC report says to me is not we are doomed. It is we know what we have to do. Now that is very different from actually doing it, but the, but that is actually a really like that's a powerful thing that like this is going to cost trillions of dollars, but there are trillions of dollars to spend. We've figured out how to to generate a lot of economic activity to to leverage a huge amount of human potential and problem solving ability toward this problem, um, toward the problem of clean energy, toward the problem of like decreasing the amount of carbon in the atmosphere, but also toward the problem of how do we deal with the climate change that we are going to experience? Because we are going to experience it. Like there isn't a world in which we don't experience negative impacts of climate change. I'm sitting here in Montana where we've had 45 days over 90 degrees this summer, which is not a thing that happens. Um, and, And the fires are very bad. And we've had like two days where the air quality has not been unhealthy. And like this is a... This is a situation that we're going to live through and we're going to live with. It's going to be different. And that is part of being alive, though. Um, And also we but and 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 so and so there and so we have to leverage technology for how do we handle the world as it's going to exist in the future? How do we mitigate the impacts that that's going to have on on, you know, humans and other organisms? And. You know, I think that there are a lot of people that are going to be turning their minds to those problems. And those people are exceptional. And I am impressed every day by the solutions that are being created and rolled out and that are really like affecting the bottom line here. And I think that some people think that the right rhetoric is the thing that makes people the most afraid. But science shows that that is not the case, um, that when people get you know, be told that it is hopeless, that they lose hope. And uh, and and I also think that that is uh, bad rhetoric because it's not true. I think that there are going to be really significant negative impacts of climate change. It's going to affect people who have the least the most. And those are the kind of the people who are least responsible and it's going to affect them the most. And that is a justice problem that we will also have to interface with. But the power of humans to overcome difficult problems is a little bit what got us into this. Is a little bit what got us into this mess in the first place. 
Uh, but it is also something that I really believe in and that I see no sign of anything standing in the way of it. Yeah, I completely agree. And so I think the proper response is not hopelessness. It's not to shut down. It's not to say, well, it doesn't matter anyway because there's nothing we can do because the world is ending. The proper response is activism. It's in how we press our governments to change. But it is also in it is in personal choices. I mean, it it is. And, and that's something that Hank has really brought home to me in the last year that like my previously held idea that this was a problem of big systems and big institutions and big corporations that I wasn't meaningfully participating in because my personal carbon emissions are, you know, some tiny fraction, you know, one hundred millionth of the whatever. Mm -hmm. That doesn't actually help because what helps, the research is very clear on this, as Hank has pointed out, what helps is when you become more engaged in your own personal, your family's emissions, your family's contributions to the overall size of our carbon footprint as, as humanity. When you become more personally invested in that, you also become a better advocate for the systemic change that we need. Yeah. And so people ask me all the time, like, what's one thing that you're doing or what's a few things that you're doing? And number one is we are working very hard to electrify everything and then to make our grid clean. That's number one for us. And then number two is making the case everywhere, every time we can, that this needs to be a priority for our governments, state, local, federal and for our communities. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. It, people don't think that it's an emergency unless people are acting like it's an emergency. And so I, one of the things that like I talk about is eating less meat for no reason other than the impact on the climate. It's not about like it is like obviously there are lots of good reasons to not eat meat. Um, but for me, the reason that I eat less and less meat every year is because I am focused on that the impact that comes from that, especially from beef, which just is a, a completely unnecessary luxury. And um, I like I understand enjoying it, absolutely understand enjoying it. But like that is a thing that I have carved out of my diet. And like, you know, when people are like, uh, you know, how like, wh why have you done that? My answer is, there's only one reason why I have done it is because I don't feel right about creating that amount of carbon for that level of experience. Yeah. McDonald's hamburger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think we're all going to have to sort of expand the way that we think about cost yeah. to include carbon cost. Mm -hmm. And that's honestly, that's something our dad has been talking about since we were like 10. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, yeah, we knew the word externality a little I, early, I think, for the average person. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we were fortunate to have the parents that we do. Yeah, anyway. A a anyway, I just felt like we needed to talk about it, Hank, because we get so many questions about it. And I understand, I understand the despair yeah. and I understand the fear. Mm -hmm. I absolutely do. I just don't believe that despair is productive. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's, it, it, it is an emotion that we often feel not <laughs> because we are trying to feel productive. We're feeling it because like the, the news is bad. But. Oh yeah, no, don't get me wrong. It's not that I. You know, like, <laughs> so stop yeah. feeling feelings. I'm not. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Thank you. I'm not telling people to not feel their feelings. <laughs> I am telling people that like, I don't think I don't think despair tells the whole story. I, I I think despair almost never tells the whole story. Yeah. Occasionally it does, but not not usually. Well, I I think that I also think that that rhetoric that seems to be intended to inspire despair is a problem. Like it and I think that some people like indulge in that and like cre create that very intentionally and think that it is effective, but it's not effective. Like they are it's better at getting attention than it isn't creating change. Oh man, you just like so much uh, of what Thanks for coming. Thanks thanks days. thanks thanks for coming to Hank and John host an intervention with each other. <laughs> To oh, try to Lord. talk themselves out of despair, which reminds me, of course, that today's podcast is brought to you by despair. Despair. <laughs> Despite having an advertising budget of zero dollars, it has done incredibly well on the Internet in the last five years.
Yeah, they're doing so well that like now they can do some real paid marketing here at Dear Hank and John. <laughs> this, is, this podcast is also brought to you by that manual sweeper broom uh, that you used to see in restaurants in the 1990s. Do they still exist? I found one on the internet. This 10.5-inch manual sweeper has two corner brushes and a dual-direction cleaning path for ease of use, an ideal solution for low-pile carpet and hard surfaces. Dual-corner brushes ensure thorough edge cleaning, commercial-grade construction for quick cleanup in lobbies and restaurants. You know that they didn't actually pay us, right? (laughs) Because that felt very much like... I just thought that that was an amazing little paragraph. (laughs) That felt very much like an actual ad. But you're right. A human being wrote those words. They are good words. Yeah. And they deserve to be read out loud. (laughs) Today's podcast is also, of course, brought to you by the 6% of Americans who believe that they could defeat a grizzly bear in an unarmed battle. The 6% of Americans who believe that they can defeat a grizzly bear. Important to remember when considering that 20% of people believe X or Y. We can just carve those ones out and just say, exactly. okay, a third 14. of those people are, are gri- I could beat a grizzly bear people. So, you know, I think we could kind of dismiss a third of the 20% yeah. off the top. <laughs> and also this podcast is brought to you by Benjamin Franklin's Storm Oil. <laughs> Benjamin Franklin's Storm Oil. What was it made of? We don't know. Fish, probably. I would not at all be surprised if Benjamin Franklin had a storm oil concern at some point. It seems extremely in character. Yeah, yeah. Totally. So listen, your toilet is massively gross, like it's grosser than you think. In fact, bacteria and viruses can hang around in the toilet bowl even after multiple flushes. And I recently found the easiest way to clean my toilet, Blue Land's Sustainable Toilet Cleaner Tablets. Just drop, watch it fizz, brush, and flush. It is truly that simple. No more scrubbing for hours. Plus, the tablets are plastic-free. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and for the planet with the same powerful clean that you're used to. Blue Land products are effective and affordable, and their toilet tablets are proven to work on a wide range of toilet stains, including rust, mineral deposits, lime scale, and hard water. And you can even get more savings by buying refills in bulk or setting up a subscription. Blue Land has a special offer for our listeners. Right now, you can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss this blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. That's blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. This episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by ZocDoc. Look, there are, I think it's fair to say, some imperfections in the American healthcare system, but there are ways that it actually has recently gotten easier. I don't compromise on a lot of things, but I do not love feeling like I can't find the right doctor for me. And I've gotten very lucky that I have found some good doctors for me. When it comes to your health, there shouldn't be compromise. Don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines slash their family group chat slash their crossword puzzles just because they're available right now or they happen to take your insurance. Instead, like you don't have to keep going back to a doctor who you don't like. You can check out ZocDoc, a place where you can find and book doctors who make you feel comfortable, who listen to you, who prioritize your health, and you can search by location, availability, and insurance type. So literally, no compromises. Because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you think. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Once you find the doc you want, you can book them immediately. No more phone calls and waiting on hold with a receptionist. We don't have time for this anymore. And these doctors all have verified reviews from actual real patients booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed, credible doctors and specialists. The typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between 24 and 72 hours. That's it. You can even sometimes score same-day appointments. Go to ZocDoc.com slash DearHank and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then you can book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash DearHank. ZocDoc.com slash DearHank. Every time I know it's coming, and I'm like, I'm going to have to say ZocDoc.com right now, aren't I? And then I do. I'm getting good at it, everybody. ZocDoc.com. Hank, we have another question. It's from Ryan, which is always suspicious, right? Like, here at Dear Hank and John, we occasionally get emails from Ryans, (laughs) and we always are dubious of their provenance because 
years and years ago. I don't, I'm not sure that there are any actual Ryans. Well, I one of my anymore. closest friends is named Ryan, and I think he exists. Mm. Are you sure? Uh, I, I mean, we just hung out, and it felt really <laughs> real. You know, like we were. That's together. how they get you. I know. That's how they. That is exactly how the how they get you, is that <laughs> they make an experience feel so real that you're like, uh-huh. I'm pretty sure this. Ryan's person, have to but exist. you know, it's possible that Ryan, I, yeah, that's how they get you. <laughs> anyway, we have an email from Ryan. Writes, dear John and Hank, I'm 15 years old and I regularly get calls. Now, Ryan, I have to stop you. Uh, unfortunately, I, I believe that there are some Ryans. <laughs> I'm not convinced there are any who are 15. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah, not convinced. We, haven't we stopped this? I'm not. First off, I think Ryan is a great name. It's just that it's a name with a lot of Dear Hank and John history. Yes. So if you haven't listened to like 300 episodes, <laughs> oh my God, this is our 300th episode. It is. Oh my God. That's the Ryan Spectacular. Only questions from Ryan's. <laughs> we're, we're starting over. <laughs> they were all named Ryan. We were messing with you. That's right. Everybody was named Ryan. Ryan. The, the grizzly the, bear was named Ryan. Yep. Benjamin Franklin's name is Ryan. Chelsea's name is Ryan. Uh, the fish that got turned into that storm oil, its name was that Ryan. Was totally it's Ryan. all Ryans yep. all the time. Uh-huh. Everything was a Ryan. Every word you heard was the word Ryan mispronounced. <laughs> That's all we've talked about. Climate change is Ryan. Everything is a Ryan. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. It's the Ryan Spectacular. It's our 300th episode. I cannot believe that we have made 300 episodes of this podcast. <laughs> Me either. I also can't believe we've... I really can't. We only do it once a week. Jesus Christ. Oh, we've been doing it for a long time, Hank. We don't even... Let's let's be frank. We don't do it once a week. We do it like once every 10 days on average. So... Okay. Like, well. It's impressive. Ryan Ooh. is purportedly 15 years old. And Ryan says, I regularly get calls from numbers I don't have saved in my phone. Sure. And... Whether this is a number from the same area code I live in or not, I do not answer these calls Mm -hmm. because I figure that I know the numbers of the people who are going to call me. Ryan, you are wise beyond your years. However, when my parents and other old people around me get calls from numbers they do not have saved, they almost always answer them. Yeah. This This is the line. My question is, at what age... Am I expected to answer these calls from strangers? <laughs> oh. oh my God, Ryan, what a great question. Never. I mean, as far as I can That's tell, a great for, question. for me, I don't. I do not answer calls from strangers. <laughs> no, if, of course not. Yeah. It's a, it's a ludicrous idea. Oh. I will <sighs> deal with it after you leave a voicemail. Like, yeah. I don't trust you. And also, you. when I call strangers... I don't expect them to answer because why would they? There's a 99.97% chance it is a robocall. Yeah. No, the only time I ever answer the phone when it is a number that I don't recognize is when I am expecting a phone call from someone I don't know. Yes, that is 100% the case. Yes. And Ryan, you should live by that for as long as you can. Now, there will come a day, inevitably where old age overtakes you and you start answering the phone every time it rings. And that's just, that's part of, that's part of the aging process. But hold on, Ryan. Hold on for as hold long as you can. Hold on for as long as you can. We'll hold on Do to. Do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of ignoring phone calls. Yes. Pumpkins and penguins. You know who is calling, though? It's okay, almost right. definitely... Now, the fact that Ryan signed off Pumpkins and Penguins, Ryan, is highly suspicious, suspicious. because it means that Ryan is a longtime Dear Hank yeah. and John listener. Yeah. Highly suspicious, Ryan. I'd yeah. like to see a birth certificate and two forms of ID and also your social security number and your mother's maiden name. Okay. Because All right. this is a robocall, Ryan. <laughs> this is a robocall. <laughs> I robocalled you, Ryan. Yeah. You know who's Ryan now? Me. I'm Ryan. And I have access to Ryan's <laughs> bank account. <laughs> We're all Ryan. <laughs> oh, no. I am I am exhausted, John. Oren got up at like 4.30 last night because he was cold, and then I Oof. couldn't fall back asleep because oh. I was worried about my sinus infection and my head hurt. Oh, I hate that. I hate that feeling. Yeah, it's fine. I'm sorry that you're not well-rested, although I will say that for someone who is tired, you've been a wonderful host of the 300th episode of Dear Hank and John, the Ryan Spectacular. And Hank, 
what better way to celebrate yeah. our 300th episode uh-huh. than with AFC Wimbledon's yep. first game of the 2021 2022 uh-huh. third tier English uh-huh. football season? Hank, yeah? you'll remember last season, AFC Wimbledon had a terrible habit where they would score a goal and then they would immediately allow the other team to score a goal. And then they would lose 2-1. Uh-huh. This happened like 17 yeah. times out of 46 possible games. Yeah. So I'm watching their first game of the season. We had a terrible preseason. You'll remember we lost six of our seven games. We only scored like one goal. I'm watching the first half and I'm like, we look pretty good considering how young this team is, the youngest team in all of the professional ranks of English football. We're looking pretty good. I'm enjoying watching AFC Wimbledon. Like, we're we're kind of playing beautiful football, which is a little weird, to be honest. Yeah. And then I was like, but we're probably going to do that thing where we're going to score, and then the other team's going to score, and then we're going to lose 2-1. We're playing a pretty good team, too. And what happened instead is that about 20 seconds into the second half, we gave up a goal. And I was like, oh, God, we've picked a whole new way of losing for this season. (laughs) A much more common way. involve us scoring. (laughs) I like this way even less than the other way. Uh But then something extraordinary happened. Oh, wow. 19-year-old Ayub Asal, my hero. Ryan, Ayub, Ryan Asal. That's what they call him. He scored to make it 1-1. And then one of the new kids, Luke McCormick, Luke Ryan McCormick on a Luke Ryan McCormick scored on a free kick. Oh wow! To make it two to one, a free kick outside the. I don't think we scored a free kick outside the box in all of last season, but we scored one in our first game, and then we won, and then we kind of tenaciously and heroically and courageously clung to that two one lead and won the game. And AFC Wimbledon, one game into the League One season, are in second place. I mean, which they're they're technically they're tied for like second place with six other people. Yeah, that's <laughs> fair enough. But but because of the alphabetical order, uh-huh. we are in second place, which is technically an automatic promotion spot to head up to the second tier of English football. And I believe that we should stop the count. I think it is time <laughs> to say enough football has been played. We don't need we we all know who won. Yeah. This season. Rod- and it's Rotterham, AFC Wimbledon. Rotherham and AFC Wimbledon. Rother- uh, by the way, Rotherham are going to go up. But like Rotherham and AFC <laughs> Wimbledon, I, that's it. It's done. We're up, okay. up to the championship. And from there, the heights of the Premier League are, are, are only a few moments away. I I loved every second of it. I love Ayuba Saul. I love the way Mark Robinson has these young kids playing. I just, it is unbelievably fun to watch. Like, if you ever want to get into AFC Wimbledon, right now feels like the time. Uh, you can download the iFollow AFC Wimbledon app. It's not free to watch the games, but but you can watch a really lovely, high-quality broadcast of them with commentary and everything. And, I, I mean, I, I don't even know what to do with myself. We seem, I, I, admittedly, we're 146th yeah. of the way into the season, but we seem good. <laughs> Okay. Or at least except like, for all the games you middling. lost in the preseason, every single one. Yeah, but those don't really count. Oh no, they don't count at all. Right. Yeah. yeah. This is only the second time that we've won our first game of the season in like the last eleven seasons. So you'll forgive me for being a little bit optimistic. I I just I felt like this team could easily maybe finish like fourteenth. All right. I like it. John's calling it fourteenth. Oh, God, I would love to finish 14th. I would love, I think I've told you this before, Hank, but AFC Wimbledon have only played two games in the last four seasons where they were not at risk of relegation, and I would love to see that number double. Yeah. All right. John, uh, we have some news from Mars, which is that the Ingenuity helicopter has now uh, traveled over a mile over the surface of Mars. Wow. It uh, just had its highest flight um, and it's it it recently flew over a sort of rockier area, and it's done a pretty good job. And it's starting to send back some of the video that it's taken as it travels over these places, which is just I don't know. It's just very cool to see like what it can do and to like watch a yeah like 
drone video from Mars going over some sand dunes, going over some rocks. Yeah. It's so cool. It is doing it is doing everything th- that we hoped it would do and more. And uh, and in the future, we're going to, I think, obviously, if everything goes as planned, do this again with even more uh, sophisticated and capable helicopters. And what a what what a bonus to this mission. I am so happy. What do you think is the over under on how many helicopters there will be on Mars before there is a human on Mars? Like, is it three? Is it 17? I, you know, my guess would be, well, it depends. Um, if there is an element of the human, of, of the sort of construction of the base that that is like better achieved with drones. Mm. So like a lot of the, the base construction, ideally, like a lot of the stuff will be there before the humans arrive. And so there, if like it can be helped along by it, like if the manned mission can be helped along by drones, then you're probably talking about more up in the 15 to 20 area. But my my guess would be in terms of like robotic mission not associated with, with humans, I'd, I'd guess probably just three or four. Okay. Maybe even less than that, especially if you get there by 2027. That's what I was going to ask. Like, how exactly are we going to get all these, like, drones building space modules by 2027? (laughs) That seems like a stretch to me. Yeah. I'll tell you, with each passing 100 episodes of Dear Hank and John, it does become kind of more possible in my imagination that there actually will be a day when that bet comes due. And that I know, right? We will have to rename the podcast Dear John and Hank. It's like, wait. <laughs> it's like, okay, so we've been making this podcast for how long? I mean, 2028 is close. It is. It is. I mean, we're not quite halfway there, but like, we're. Yeah. I mean, maybe we. No, we're not. We're not. We're not. I mean, we're not quite yet. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, we're not quite halfway there, but we're like almost halfway there. And I still enjoy this. So, <laughs> yeah, it seems very plausible to me. I don't see why not. Um. Oh, gosh. I have to say, when we started this podcast, I thought it would peter out within like a year. And then when we started Vlogbrothers in 2007, I also thought that would peter out after a year. So <laughs> yeah. what I've learned from this it's is trouble. Like, don't say yes to Hank unless you're ready to make uh-huh. a lifelong commitment. That's right. Correct. Correct. Oh, God, it's going to be such a bummer when one of us dies. Yeah. I mean, let's try to avoid it for at least till 2028. All right, that's the that's John's other prediction. We're gonna the AFC is gonna finish in 14th, and we are gonna make it to 2028 as humans. Fingers crossed, man. I'd be bummed out if it if it happened before then. Oh yeah, that that would suck a lot. John, uh, thank you for making a podcast with me. This podcast is edited by Joseph Ryan Medish. It's produced by Rosiana Ryan Rojas. Our communications coordinator is Julia Ryan Bloom. Our editorial assistant is Deboki Ryan Chakravarti. The music you're hearing now is by the great Gunnar Ryan Rolla. And as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to be, be awesome. awesome.